Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana. Hey, Chipley, by the way, it was really good to get to spend last Sunday with you guys and get to meet some new people at Chipley I've never met before and also get to renew some acquaintance of some of you guys who have been part of our church family for a long time. It's just awesome to be able to go around and get to visit the rest of other churches as well. But it's also great to be back and uh, get to speak to you today as we're starting a brand new series entitled No Regrets. And speaking of no regrets, as you know, Schools started back uh, this week for most of our schools, and more than ever, the impact of a great teacher is an added blessing in the life of each and every student. In fact, I know personally um, the impact of a great teacher in my life, and there's, I can go back to elementary school and go, man, there was these defining teachers in my life, middle school, and then high school. In fact, I would not be a public speaker today if it had not been for three teachers who invested in my life in a very... Um, impactful way when I was in high school. And um, so today, as we get started, uh, I just want to take a moment and pray for all of you who work in our school systems, because what you do, it absolutely matters. It matters more now than ever because of the breakdown of the family. So if you're a teacher, if you're a supporting staff, faculty, or administrator in any school, uh, we would love for you to stand um, at your campus, Blountstown, Chipley, Mariana, just stand if you work in the school system. Uh, I'd love for you to stand, and we want to pray for you. The reason we're having you stand is so the people sitting around you will know that you work there and they can be praying for you every Sunday when they see you. It's a reminder because parents don't always appreciate what you do and somebody needs to and you need to know that it matters. So let us pray for you right now. All of our campuses, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these men and women who, um, God, carry an incredible load. And I just pray that every morning when they wake up, they will be aware that they are enough, even when others don't think they're enough. I pray that you'll remind them that the power of your Holy Spirit indwells them, the wisdom of your eternal world, word indwells them as well. And you have given the wisdom, the strength, the insight, discernment to lead well, to care well, and to impact students not just for a career, but for a life that matters. So God, I pray a special anointing, a special blessing on every person who's part of our school systems in every one of our counties, every one of our cities and our communities. We ask that they feel your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, can we celebrate all of those uh, workers in our camp? Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, uh, one other thing before we jump into today's talk about the value of investing in the next generation. I, and I think some of you are going, man, Paul, you're really talking about this a whole lot more. And I think it's because I'm a grandfather now. It's like you start seeing it at a whole nother level, right? Um, so I've got two grandchildren, uh, two, um, uh, like a two-year-old next month, or no, this month, this month, wow. Okay, this is going fast already, right? This month, and then um, I've got a little grandson, and I got another granddaughter on the way in October. So I mean, yeah, I am thinking about this. But anyhow, so it, it's always been a big deal to us as a church to invest in the next generation. But about two weeks ago, we received a gift of $240.15. But I want you to understand something. It didn't come from adult. It came from a group of children who attend Wombaland and Upstreet. And this is the group of children right here. So these children, don't applaud yet. You can applaud in just a moment. 
These children, they sold lemonade one afternoon and they were trying to decide what to do with the money and they decided they were gonna give everything they made to RCC to help so that our church can help others. By the way, they are now the most generous givers in our church because they gave everything, right? <laughs> but, but here's what I know as a parent and here's what I know as a grandparent and here's what I know after being a pastor for 29 years. There is nothing more impactful in the life of a child than when a church and parents come together and they partner together in helping a child own their faith. And some of you, you've seen that in baptisms that happen on your campus when a child or a student is baptized. I mean, the partnership between the parent and the church is absolutely vital in helping children and students grow to love God, love each other, and love their church family. To help students and children grow to live so they grow up and have no regrets. So I just wanna say thank you. And I wanna to try to say this without getting emotional, but I just wanna say thank you as a church for helping us invest in, in the lives of students and children. You, you guys, you, you give so generously of your time and of your money to help us create environments for children and students to provide the resources, not only that they experience on Sundays and Wednesdays, but also resources for families to use during the week to help their children as parents to grow in their faith, to help their students grow and own their faith as their own. And I just wanna say, if you're like these children and, and man, you love what God is doing in your life and you love what God is doing in your family, I would love to invite you to be generous with your time and with your resources because I tell people all the time, we are not doing all the ministry that we could do. We could do a whole lot more ministry if we had more people willing to step up and serve and more people willing to give up. Our, our limitation is not RCC has met its maximum capacity in ministry. It's just, we're saying, hey, there just needs to be more people willing to serve and more, more people willing to give. So if you wanna help invest in the next generation um, and, you wanna, and you wanna sign up to serve, stop by the gallery or go to Engage uh, on your campus this afternoon um, at, uh, at 12 o'clock. We have lunch and childcare for that. Or uh, if you wanna give, you can just drop it in the giving box, boxes on your way out, or you can go to our website or our app and you can give there and you can even automate that as well. But I'm telling you, as a church, we've always been passionate about this. But as a grandparent and a pastor, I am more passionate about being committed to partnering with parents, to help parents lead their children in this world that needs their children's leadership more than ever that needs to lie to the church more than ever um, to create great environments for our students and our children. So talking about kids, um, let's just jump right into today's talk. Um, back in the late 1960s and 70s, some of you did, you know, you think that's like really ancient history, but I was born in the 60s. So anyhow, um, back in the 60s and 70s, uh, a guy by the name of Walter Michel, um, he was a professor at Stanford. He, he began conducting like this group of experiments that became to known as the marshmallow test. So what Mitchell would do is he would take uh, children, you know, between the age of four years old and six years of age, and, and he would put them in a room with nothing but a table and chair. Maybe some of you have seen some pictures of these experiments or watched some videos of this. And then he would put like a marshmallow or a cookie or a candy on the table. And he, says, he would say to them, hey, you can eat this now, but if you'll wait till I come back, I will give you two. And so after 15 minutes, he'd come back to see what the child had done. 
And then they would track these children for like 18 years. And what they discovered was the children who didn't eat the marshmallow for, for 15 minutes, they sat there during that 15 minutes. Those children were more successful in life than the children who did eat the marshmallow. They, they were less likely to have a problems with uh, behavior issues, with drug addictions, even obesity. They scored higher on the SAT. Now, if you're sitting there on any of our campuses this morning and, and you're a parent and you're starting to worry, my child would not sit there for 15 minutes. Get them in Wombaland and Upstreet. Don't freak out. Just get them in Wombaland and Upstreet. No, honestly, they'll, they'll be fine. But here's the thing. There are two big lessons that we can learn from this marshmallow test. And I would encourage you to write these down. Two big lessons. Here's the first one. It is this. There's always more at stake than what we think. See, those kids, they had no idea that their ability to practice delayed gratification with a marshmallow would pay off in huge ways throughout their life. They thought it was all about, do I enjoy one marshmallow now or do I wait till later and enjoy two? But the reality is this seemingly simple choice and then the many other seemingly simple choices like it that they would make later in their life, it would shape their future to some extent. So the first lesson is there's always more at stake when we're making a decision than what we think. The second big lesson was this. Our ability to withstand temptations and temptation is impacted by our confidence in the person making the promise. Don't miss this one. Our ability to withstand temptation is impacted by our confidence in the person making the promise. Now, let me help you understand that one. About 10 years ago, this is about 2012, they conducted this same experiment again at the University of Rochester, only they added a slight little twist. They had become convinced from studying this research that part of what influenced the kid's decision whether to eat the marshmallow or not was whether they trusted the person making the promise. So what they did is they took one group of children and before giving them the test, they promised that they would give them candy or a cookie or a sucker or let them watch TV and they kept their promise before giving them the test, and then they gave the test. Well, with another group of children, they also promised something, but they didn't do what they promised. And then they took them in, and they gave them the test. Guess what they found? The group of children who had confidence that the person promising them two marshmallows would actually keep their promise, they waited up to four times longer for their second marshmallow. Now, why is that so important to all of us? Well, for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about how to deal with temptation. And here's what I know. The same thing that were true for both groups of these kids who took the marshmallow test, they're true for you and they're true for me. We face much greater temptations every day in our life than just eating a marshmallow. In fact, your reoccurring temptation with food or sex or lying or gossip or money or with pornography or with drugs or with alcohol or with cheating on your income taxes, just a little. You know, every time you face a temptation... These two things are true about you. First of all, there is always more at stake than what we think. 
The, the way you handle a temptation, it impacts you far more than what you ever imagined in that moment. In fact, at least three things are at stake with every temptation that you face. You might wanna write these down. The first thing that's at stake is your future. See, you're making or breaking your future by the choices that you make today. Oftentimes we say, I wish I could go back and remake those decisions. Well, how about this? Why don't we start thinking about the decision that we make today as shaping my future tomorrow? See, when you're being tempted, you think, well, this is just an isolated decision. This is an isolated moment, and it's not really going to impact me in a big way down the road. But temptation, don't miss this, temptation always has consequences later in life. And they're always later, and they're always greater. And resisting temptation, it always has rewards in life, later in life. And the resisting that temptation, those rewards are always later and they're always greater. So your future is at stake, but that's not all. The second thing that's at stake is your family. Listen, you will never make a decision in your life that only impacts you. We say things like this, well, it's my life. I can do what I want to with my life and, and this decision won't really impact anybody else. And if you really stop and think about it, you know that's a lie. Every temptation you give into, it impacts the people that you love in a big way. In fact, if you're leading other people, if you have people under your authority or if you care for people, it impacts them. Even if it's not a direct impact, don't miss this. Even if it's not a direct impact, giving in to temptation, it changes you, which means it changes your relationship with everybody around you. Now, here's the thing. I don't have to convince most of you of what I'm saying is true about this family thing because it's your story, isn't it? Your childhood was negatively impacted because someone thought giving into temptation would only impact them. But you know so much better because you're carrying all this baggage and you're carrying all these scars from dealing with the consequence of a parent or sibling's inability to resist temptation. In fact, some of you, you've been on teams, some of you, you've worked for organizations where your future was impacted because a coach or a teacher or a boss, they didn't resist temptation. Listen, with every temptation you face, big or small, your future and your family, they are at stake. But that's not all, there's a third thing, and this is really big, and that is this, your faith is at stake. And by faith, we mean our confidence in God. Our confidence in God is on the line every time you face a temptation. Now, this is so important for you to understand. Temptation is not just a test of your self-control. That's how we mostly see temptation. But temptation is really, actually it's a test of your faith. It's actually a test of your confidence in God. See, whenever people give in to temptation, they'll often think or they'll say things to me like this as a pastor. Well, I, I, wouldn't, have given, I wouldn't give in to that if I had more self-control, if I had more self-discipline, but I hate to tell you this. You don't have enough self-control to on your own overcome temptation. Most temptations are irresistible. It's just you can't resist them on your own without God's help in your life. And, and here's the reality. None of us want to admit that. 
But given enough time, that's what you're going to learn. That's what you're going to experience about temptation. What you need to overcome temptation is to have this greater confidence that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he has promised to do. You need greater faith or greater confidence in God. And you go, why is that important to know? Because see, with every temptation that you're going to face, there is the temptation to take matters into your own hands, to handle things my own way. Let me just give you a couple examples. So my career is not moving as fast as I wanted and God doesn't seem to be making things happen the way that I want them to happen. So guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna compromise my morals a little bit, my ethics a little bit, and I'm gonna do what other people who are in my same line of work do to get me where I wanna go. Or our marriage is not what we hoped it would be. So I don't think that I can count on God to help me change it. So I'm gonna look out for me first and I'm gonna look outside of my marriage to get my needs met. Or I'm single and I've been waiting to get married and waiting to get married and I have these high standards for what my spouse should be and God hasn't answered my prayer. So I think I just need to go figure it out myself. I'm just gonna go date in a way that I think I can get some results. Or I really need to close this deal and you know, it would require me to compromise my integrity just a little, ignore a couple integrity issues. But you know, it's really common practice in my line of work. So I think I'm just gonna make it happen instead of trusting God to honor my integrity. Now, now, now we never say those kind of things out loud when we're facing a temptation, do we? We, we never think of temptation this way in the moment, but part of what's at stake with every temptation that you face is your faith or your confidence in your heavenly father. Do I really trust him to be who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he will do? Now, the other thing about temptation is this, is we always see temptation as this negative thing. We always view it as an opportunity to do wrong. But whenever you understand temptation is about your confidence in God, then temptation, don't miss this, it becomes the opportunity to do something right. It's not just the opportunity to do something wrong. It's also the opportunity to do something right. Think about it this way. Every temptation is an opportunity to trust God. See, every temptation is an opportunity to pause and ask yourself, how big is my God? Can my God really be trusted? Will he do what he says he will do? Will he do what he's promised he will do? And when you answer those questions with a faith-filled yes, then temptation, it actually helps you grow closer to God. And it becomes this whole mindset of God. I am tempted to meet my needs my way, but I am choosing to trust you instead. To provide. In other words, God, I'm tempted to lower my standards to get that relationship, to get that date, but I'm trusting you to send that right person at the right time. Or God, I'm, I'm trusting you, or I'm tempted, I'm tempted to lie to get myself out of trouble, but I'm trusting you to honor my integrity and my honesty and, and you work this out. Or I'm tempted to be unethical to land this deal, but I'm trusting you to provide for me even if my integrity costs me the deal. See, every temptation, don't miss this, every temptation is an opportunity to sin, but every temptation is also an opportunity to trust your heavenly father more. And I'm telling you, in that moment of temptation, your decision is huge. Because see, 
Once you stop trusting God, what happens is you stop obeying God. And after you've stopped obeying God, you'll eventually stop believing in God and you'll stop following God. Or on the other hand, when you choose to trust God, your faith grows and your relationship with him gets stronger and he becomes more personal and it's easier to trust him the next time because you saw him come through the last time. Now, I think there is no better example of how to handle temptation than what Matthew gives us in his account of Jesus and how Jesus responded to temptation. So if you got your Bibles with you today, I invite you to go with me to Matthew chapter four. That's where we're gonna pick up. We're gonna pick up at the end of chapter three and then we're gonna jump in to chapter four. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with this story, but Jesus has this very unique encounter with Satan when he's faced with three very difficult temptations. And each one of these temptations, they are designed, don't miss this, each one of these temptations, they are designed to attack his confidence in his heavenly father. That's what every temptation you face is designed to do, to attack your confidence in your heavenly father. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take today and the next two weeks and we're gonna walk through this story and here is the great news about this story. Every temptation that you will face in life, don't miss this, every temptation that you will face in life, Jesus faced as well. Every temptation you face in life will fall into one of the three categories of temptation that Jesus faced. So that means there's a whole lot that we can learn about handling temptation in our life as we look at the life of Jesus and how he handled temptation. So let me just kind of give you a quick overview of where we're going for the next three weeks and then we're gonna unpack the first temptation of Jesus. So the first temptation that Jesus faced was the temptation to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. We all face this one all the time. We're gonna talk more about that in a moment. Now, the second temptation that we're gonna talk about next week is the temptation to presume on God to bless our plans. See, this happens when we're tempted to manipulate or try to use God for our benefit. We'll talk about that next week. And then the third temptation is the temptation to pursue the right thing in the wrong way. It's the temptation to take a shortcut to where you believe God wants you to go. So let's just jump into this story and we're gonna unpack the first temptation today. The story, as I told you, is found in Matthew chapter four, but we're gonna start in Matthew chapter three so that we'll kind of have some context of what's happening in this story. Now, a little bit of the context before we get into it is Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. Maybe you've kind of heard a little bit about that story. And whenever he comes out of the water after being baptized or comes up out of the water after being baptized by John the Baptist, this is what happens happens. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove alighting on him. Now, this is a little strange and mysterious to most of us. and I can't even explain it. But when Jesus come up out, came up out of the water, all of the witnesses, and there was a big crowd of people there, they swore that they saw a dove or something like a dove descending from above and land on Jesus. And then it gets even a little more mysterious. Matthew says, after they saw this dove, this happened. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well 
pleased. And these witnesses to all this is happening after John baptized Jesus, they say, we know it's crazy, but we heard this voice. We all heard it. And basically what is happening right here is God the Father is applauding his son in front of all these people. He, he's, he's saying, listen, this is my son. I'm well pleased. I mean, that's pretty amazing when you stop and think about what God the Father is doing here. I mean, wouldn't you love to know that God is well pleased with you? Wouldn't you love to know that? Well, here's the truth. God is. He loves you no matter what. And there's nothing that pleases him more than when you do or you trust him enough to do what he tells you to do. Now, here's the thing. God made sure that Jesus knew. And, and if you missed about three weeks ago when Brian Pipping talked about the blessing that a parent passes to their children, I, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. It's so important. It's so important if we want our children to have resilience and strength in life to understand that blessing. And that's kind of what God the Father is doing here is he, he just made sure that Jesus knew. He made sure the crowd knew before Jesus ever began his ministry, before Jesus ever performed any miracles, before Jesus taught anything, God made sure that his son knew that he was pleased with him simply because he trusted him. So Jesus gets baptized and then he hears this affirmation, which is so essential for us to pay attention to and make sure that we understand how important it is to this story because of this very next statement that we're gonna see in Matthew chapter four, beginning in verse one. Here's what it says. Then, after this affirmation, after this applause from heaven, after being affirmed of this is my son, oh, I, I love him. He, he, he is truly my son. He says, then Jesus was led by the spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In other words, Jesus, I'm pleased with you, so I'm gonna lead you in the desert where you're gonna be tempted. And Jesus like, but I thought you loved me. Well, I do. I thought you were happy with me. I am. So now you're going to face some temptations from Satan. And you know, in our minds, that's just not how it's supposed to work, is it? But temptation is something that every one of us face. And then I'm just going to tell you, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, you are going to face temptations. And Jesus was not exempt from temptation because he was God in human flesh. And neither are we. So here's how his first temptation begins. Notice the next verse. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now that seems like a really innocent kind of statement, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus hasn't eaten in 40 days. I mean, you'd be hungry, right? Some of you hadn't eaten in 40 minutes and you're hungry, right? I mean, like, what could be wrong with using your power, which Satan didn't deny that Jesus had that kind of power. What would be wrong with using your power to tur turn stones into bread and eat? What would be wrong with that? I mean, because later in Jesus' ministry, if you remember, I mean, Jesus, he makes enough bread out of a few loaves to feed 5,000 people. Sh surely making some bread from a few stones to feed himself, I mean, that's not like really a big deal. But the thing you have to understand here, the issue wasn't really hunger. It's not really hunger. And it wasn't, can I use my power to do this? The issue isn't even self-control. 
The issue here in this temptation is, do I trust my heavenly father who validated and affirmed who I am, who led me into this desert? Do I trust him now to provide whatever I need or will I make it happen myself? Now let's just pause and think about what was at stake with this temptation with Jesus. I mean, Jesus' future was at stake. If he gives into this temptation, everything changes about his future. Our future is at stake. Our very salvation, our forgiveness, and our relationship with God, it all hung in the balance of his decision. I mean, if Jesus gives into this temptation, he can no longer be the sinless, the perfect sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. And Jesus' confidence in his heavenly father was at stake. I mean, this temptation was about, do I believe God is who he says he is? And do I believe that he will do what he says he will do? Or do I need to make things happen on my own? Now, here's the thing. We, we know that was the issue. And how do we know that was the issue? It's because of how Jesus responded next. Now, before we read his response in verse four, let me just kind of give you some context of why he uses his response. See, Jesus' response to Satan's temptation, he, he refers to a story from Jewish history that is found in Deuteronomy chapter eight. If you remember, when the Israelites were led out of Egypt by Moses, they spent 40 years wandering around in the desert. Why? because they did not believe that God would do what he said he would do, that he would give them the promised land. And during their time wandering around in the wilderness, God's goal was to teach them to trust him. So one of the things that he did every morning is he would give them this food called manna from heaven. And manna was kind of like unleavened bread. And they had just enough to get by every day. And then the next morning, guess what? They would get more. So in Deuteronomy, Moses is reminding the Israelites, this is God's promise to you. And this is God's faithfulness to you. And this is the lesson of that you can trust God no matter what. This is what you've learned. And then he makes a statement that Jesus is about to quote to Satan whenever he is tempted to turn these stones into bread. Here it is in verse four. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, Moses, when Moses makes this statement that Jesus is quoting, Moses was saying, he's saying, you Israelites, it's easy for you to start thinking that bread is the source of your life, but it's not. The source of your life is the source of your bread. That's God. You stay focused on the one who's giving it to you. And if he stops, he'll provide for you in another way. Well, Jesus, in this moment, he reiterates those thoughts. He says, listen, being hungry and needing food, it's a legitimate need. And I don't have any idea how God is going to meet this very legitimate need I have. But I know this. He said that he would provide, so I am not going to doubt God's provision. So let me ask you a question this morning. Where are you currently tempted to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way? Is it intimacy or a friendship? Do you wanna feel listened to, connected to, understood by someone? I mean, that, that's a legitimate desire, right? Maybe it's the only way that you feel like that you're gonna get your needs met. And so you're feeling like, okay, I gotta look outside my marriage to find and get my needs met. 
Or, or maybe for you it's, I'm going to start engaging in this activity over here. And you, and you know you shouldn't. But you're going to do that so you can be accepted by another group of people or by this individual. For some of you, your legitimate need is progress. You, you want things to move forward. You want to see things improve. And you want to accomplish things and achieve things, which is completely legitimate. But in order to do so, you're about to use some illegitimate means. Maybe for some of you, it's having or making more money. and Maybe you have a legitimate need. I want to provide better for my family. I want to provide some kind of future security for my family. But nothing seems to be falling in place. And you're on the verge of going down some illegitimate roads that you think are going to get you where you want to go financially. So what area of your life are you being tempted to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way? Another way to say this is this. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? What is your soul craving that you don't feel like God is meeting that need in this moment? See, I, I don't know what your temptation is, but I do know that we are all tempted to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. And the question that you have to ask yourself is this. Do I believe that God knows that? And am I confident that God will show up in my world? Or am I going to take matters into my own hands? So let me just give you a simple statement to remember every time you face temptation. And by the way, our goal, quite honestly, is not that you just remember this statement I'm going to give you through this series. We hope that God anchors this so deep in your memory and your conscience that every time you face temptation, this phrase will come to your mind. I mean, say it as many times as you need to say it so it is anchored in your heart and it's anchored in your mind. And if you have to, say it out loud. Say it over and over again every morning out loud. Whenever you're tempted, start saying something like this. Say, Satan, you will not destroy my future. You will not destroy my family or my faith. Satan, you will not destroy my future, my family, or my faith. In fact, on all of our campuses, I want all of you to say this with me. Say this like you mean it. Everybody ready? Here we go. Satan, you will not destroy my future, my family, or my faith. Let's say it one more time. Satan, you will not destroy my future, my family, or my faith. Now, don't you wish that there had been people in your life that had known and remembered and done this? I mean, every one of us, we could tell stories of other people who missed this. And it not only impacted them, but it has negatively impacted you as well. Listen, the same thing is true for you. The same thing is true for me. There is always more at stake than what you realize. Your ability to withstand temptation, it will be determined by your confidence in the one that you are trusting in. Will you trust him? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the temptations that you face this week and I want you to do what Jesus did. Make every temptation an opportunity to trust God more. Resisting meeting some legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And please don't trade what you're hungry for right now for what you want most later in your life. See, what you want now is what you're being tempted by. But what you want most 
is what God has created you to be. Please don't give in to what you're hungry for because your future, your family, and your faith are at stake. Instead, use that temptation as an opportunity to trust God, to show up and meet your needs in ways that you could have never, ever imagined. And here's what I will tell you, it will be more fulfilling than you can ever imagine. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this incredible opportunity to watch our Savior and our Lord and our King handle temptation that we're faced with every day. God, every one of us, we get hungry for something. But then Satan comes along and tries to get us to deal with that appetite in the illegitimate way. And I just pray that you help every one of us to be committed from this day forward that whenever we face temptation, the temptation to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way, we will say, Satan, you are not gonna destroy my future, my family, or my faith. I am gonna trust my heavenly father to meet all my needs out of the abundance of his riches and out of the abundance of his supply. And God, I thank you that we can count on that promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone, thanks so much for being with us today. See you next week as we are going to part two of No Regrets.